We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. How do you do it eight times a week and keep it fresh so that each time it sounds like the first time? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Cocaine. You stupid son. (laughs) Um, It's an exercise. So it's like it's difficult sometimes and sometimes it's easier. And then... For me, it's about not beating yourself up when it's when it's harder. Like, ah, oh, I've got to really find this this night, or like, kind of work harder to listen to this actor tonight, or you know, make sure like I'm being present, more present, or I wasn't present then, and I'm and not beat myself up for you know when I'm not as present, and I need to stop thinking about this. I'm performing right now. You know, I mean, just like all that stuff. Um, that's all. Of that's part of the exercise. All of that's part of the 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 practice of it. Benga Akanabe is one of the most powerful actors of our time. When he gets to staring you down, you just want to cower. He was on The Wire as Chris, the wild-eyed hitman for Marlowe, my favorite of The Wire's drug lords, don't hate. And he's currently on Broadway in To Kill a Mockingbird, playing Tom Robinson, who's on trial for a crime he did not commit. Benga crushes the role. That's my man right there. But he's amazing in everything he does. So let's get to it. It's the genius actor Benga Akanabe on Torre Show. Benga, you are one of the core figures in To Kill a Mockingbird. And you are on trial, right? We know most people know where it's going to go. It's not going to work out for you. I mean, you're on trial for harming a white woman in the South. It's probably not going to work out for you. Is that a hard thing to inhabit <laughs> eight times a week? Well, I think the pressure is that Tom Robbins is that are are under. You know, I inhabit 365 days a year. So, um, as, as myself, so the like being in that space for Tom isn't so strange, you know, obviously as a black man in America. The performance though, eight times a week is a it's a it's a practice. It's like yoga. Um and I have a great cast I get to, you know, practice with and that helps, you know, it's and you you know, sometimes you're more you're better at the yoga and sometimes it's like the sometimes you kick yoga's ass and sometimes yoga's kicking your ass. <laughs> that's that's what it is to do it eight times a week. But this is a this is an epic story. And it's interesting. I feel like it has a slightly different resonance now, 
right? Mm-hmm. In, in, a, in a world now where the racism is so prevalent and so above ground and nobody's hiding how they really feel anymore. Um, does it feel a little different to do To Kill a Mockingbird now than it might have three or four years ago? Yes. I mean, three or four years ago, Obama was still president. Um, people, racists were angry, but, you know, the, you still had a black man in the White House who was, you know, you know, for all intents and purposes, leading this nation well. But now, <clears throat> with with the person there now, it's like the lid is off the, you know, the what do they say? The 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 patients are running the hospital. The, yeah. <laughs> the inmates <laughs> running the yeah, asylum. Exactly. You know, Arkham has let everyone out. <laughs> um, but honestly, and which is which is wild. So like the scale, just it's, it's every day gets more and more insane. And every day people tell me. Like, oh, it can't get any more crazier. It's going to get better. It's going to and get better. And then it gets crazier. Exactly. And I'm like, no, don't you know how this story ends? It doesn't get... It's well, I like, don't know how the story ends. I do. Just watch the Romans. Look at the Ottomans. Look at me. We know how the story ends. Do so you think Every, this is the end of America? I mean, we've, we've been on our decline for a long time. Our, our hegemonic, which is over, you know, the period is over about 100 years. We've, you know, we've exceeded that. Sure. So, so every, it's it's wild. Because we've done every single thing, thing that every empire has ever done. We've over we've overexpanded. We've used war and destruction to to, to fuel expansion and and and, and commerce. Um, and we've we've outsourced uh, our military and all these other functions. And sort of you know now we call them private military, but they're mercenaries. Uh, we we've, we've done everything that all these pre- previous empires have done, including have the hubris of of that empires have of thinking that we're the First right. ones to do it, right. and it'll last forever. Right. You know, the the Brits thought it would last forever. The Port- people don't remember. There was a time that Portugal was the top dog in the country. Portugal, where I go and get high in Lisbon. Yeah, yeah. They ah! they ruled the world at one point. Now think of America like that. People like, well, at one point like America ruled the world. I mean, so my my point is yes, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, and then if we don't learn from our, you know, we will we will we we're bound to repeat it. We are repeating it. One of the core points in To Kill a Mockingbird is this notion of we should be polite to everyone, including racists. <laughs> Do you agree with that notion? Because, I mean, the play has an internal discussion. It does. Jeff Daniels's Atticus, Atticus Finch is keeps pushing that notion to his children and those around him. And uh, Latanya Richardson-Jackson, Sam Jackson's wife, is Calpurnia. She is awesome. Every time she talks, I'm like, yes, amen. <laughs> and she's giving it back to him about, like, that's not working out. That's not the way. So where do you fall in that sort of that sort of notion? I'm, you know, you have these two you know, opposites. Honestly, I agree with Atticus. Believe it or not. Really? Yeah, yeah. Before, like even within the realm of the play. Within the realm of the play, like you know, there you know, black people are living different lives, obviously in this town, and they have different concerns, and safety is an issue, and so on. But not but. And on top of that, I, I, I think we, we should continue to aspire to our higher selves. That doesn't mean at all, you know, letting people abuse you if you have an option. <clears throat> but I do, it does mean recognizing even your abuser is your brother. You know, like this, this person, like there's usually something that's happened to this person. You know, even if they've benefited from some sort of wrong that's happened, there's some, some sort of trauma that's happened to like so your face is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> not entirely. But not entirely. I do understand yeah. your point about they are. They have experienced some sort of 
trauma or complete disinformation, right, which leads them to be racist. I have a hard time respecting that person. It's 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 hard to respect people's actions when they're you know based off of hate or and and racism. But if we remember that they're more than that hate and that racism, that they're human beings. At one time, they were a child on this planet. Is a child you know someone held and and may have loved or may not have loved. You know that they're just trying to get through this day on this rock, hurling through this through space like we are. You know and like we can relate. We can always find something to relate to people, even racist people. I mean, to me, it's it's not it's it's not enough for someone to be a racist for me not to love them. It's it's, it's not. Really? It, I'm like, it's, See, that would be enough for me. <laughs> no, no, well, really? Was, yeah, yeah. I mean, because because they they're because gr- you're rejecting my humanity if you're racist. That's fine. I'm not going to do the same. Like you're greater than that. You may not be exercising that. You may not realize that, but I do believe you're greater than that. So you so you you look at Atticus Finch as a sort of he's doing the right thing. Even when the clan comes to take you to your death, he is there. Yeah. Standing up for you, but he speaks to them in a very polite way. And you're like he speak, I mean, he speaks to them in a very polite way. He's strong. But remember, he's still up there putting his body on the line. So I don't, I'm not advocating not protecting yes. yourself or other people and not, not pushing it back against racism or wrong, even if it means the sacrifice of your body, which Atticus does. He sacrifices his body and his he reputation, yeah. you know. You know but yes, this, like, that doesn't mean we have to do it without recognizing the 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 humanity in this racist. The the moment when the clan comes to the prison to try to take you out is is super powerful. And especially when Atticus Finch's daughter is like, Hey Mr. Cunningham, like she recognizes the voice of one of the hooded clansmen, because like it's a small town, we yeah. all know. And she's not like trying to call him out. She's like Oh hey, there's Mr. Cunningham. How you doing? It's like ex- out of the mouths of babes, this is exactly what a child would would do. Recognizes her, the friends and neighbors, as Atticus keeps saying. And that what that that town is a microcosm of this country and what this world is. You know, it's we we we, we feel we're so alienated and separated from these people. So once we have the separation and distance from people, it's easier to treat them like, like horribly. We dehumanize them and treat them horribly. But if we start to recognize, oh, they. You know, he, she's trying to feed her kid like I'm trying to feed my kid, and he's got to get it's, it's 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 not an easy way. I I get that. Yeah, your face is like well, but just so much of this play is about life within the world of racism, right? Yeah, and different forms of it, sort of Living in flowing. America. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, you know, one of the core moments is you are on the stand, and uh, well, Tom Robinson's on the stand, and. Uh, Atticus Finch is questioning him, and he says, you know, why did you stop to help this woman who you're now accused of beating up and raping? And you say, because I felt sorry for her. And it's like the whole world of the play, like, stops, like, oh, my God, how could he say that? And it's a core turning point, right? Because at that point, Jeff Daniel, excuse me, Atticus Finch has basically gotten you out of trouble. Like, you are, like, one foot out of the court. I was like... Guys, he only has one arm. He could not have strangled her on both sides of her neck. Like, come on. And when you say that, it, like, jerks you back. 
Talk to me about why that line is so powerful and why it sort of turns the narrative like 180 degrees. Now we're going in a different direction. It's powerful because it's funny because I'm rereading the book again. And there's a there's a line in the book that talks about how despite the fact that Atticus has fought for Tom and and he's, Tom has had all the rights of the American system. I mean, it's being sarcastic, obviously, um, in a beautiful way that you know, that Harper Lee does, like, Tom was still guilty in the courts of men's hearts. These, so there was no way. There was no way. Because if you, if you argue... Because he felt like, superiority? No, they felt that he felt... They good. felt that he... Yes, he yes. is humble yes. and generous, but they felt, oh, he sees superiority. And that's not... And there's, or there's, even equality? And, and there's... Tom, honestly, Tom had a... Better life, as as horrible as it was in that town, he had a better life than Mayel Yule, and and, and, and the that, woman he's accused exactly. Of, yeah. You know, she's being abused. She's she's taking care of her like she's nineteen, taking care of seven brothers and sisters. You know, no support from her alcoholic father. All kinds of things. And Tom recognized that. And then Tom recognized the humanity in this woman. He's he, he's like the Yules are all like kind of messed up, but this one is at least trying. This right. one is like. He, he, she's she's got something in her. She's trying to help her siblings. I mean, Mayela does a horrific thing in the trial by accusing this innocent man. But this, she really, every, everything she didn't really she did. Her options were quite limited. You know, her life is going to be much worse after that trial. A couple of people, Mayela and her father, both talk about. You know, Europe is civilized and amazing. Africa is backwards and they don't have roads. Ergo, we are superior. They are inferior. Ergo, he must have done this. What we're, Which is like, but like this, I, I have not fully, I had not fully realized until recently, and that being part of the evidence for me, that there are some white people who hold in their mind Europe is better than Africa, ergo, that redounds to me and my identity and my superiority. Which is insane. Uh, I think there's a lot of white people who feel that way, including liberals. Uh, they, they, liberals just see it differently. You know, it's, they go, their superiority comes in the form of, of aid checks to Africa. Their, their superiority comes in the form of, like, feeling, like, sorry and also superior to, to black people who just can't pull it together, you know, like, and, and make, they make the wrong decisions and so on. And, and not understanding why a black person might take a bird in a hand as opposed to two tomorrow, you know, it, you know that was that, the bell, the yeah. bell test? Yeah. You know, so, so, so it's, it's, this goes across, you know, what liberals and conservatives, it's, it, it's a product, it, we're all victims of, of this colonialism, like still, and 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 all, even even liberals who benefit, like liberals benefit from it as as well as conservatives, but they just see it differently. And I'm not saying that even those those people aren't our brothers and sisters. They are, but let's let's. I'd much rather that the racism be out and open and to my face sure. than than some sort of passive aggressive like how like how is this person like talking back to me like with you know. Like where they come from and this that whatever like that that thing that you know class does, but when you don't, especially if you don't recognize or speak about it, you know. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash 
all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. There's another notion that's big in this of that you, you can't escape the South and what the South really is. And, and when Atticus is saying to his son, uh, you know, the Civil War is not over. And his son is like, Civil War was 70 years ago, Dad. He's like, no, no, it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that, the humiliation of that loss is very palpable for a lot of people. Yep. I think to this day, yep. when we think about what happened at uh, in Charlottesville and the things that they were saying, like clearly that loss remains very tangible for a lot of people. And it, In a way that like us as Northerners don't think about every right. day or realize, like that, 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 those lines were just recent, ad- um, recent additions that, and they're, they're beautiful. Aaron was such a beautiful writer. And... And when he when he added that, and I was like, that is that's so real and deep. And he's like, and he also said right after that, he said, it's a every Negro face they see walking free is a reminder to them about their defeat. And they're like, and we, to us, that's abhorrent. No, no, people should be free. But if you if you if you 
step in their shoes, they have constant reminder that they were defeated, reminders that they were defeated. And imagine how that feels. And it's, your freedom is that reminder. You're, and you're being able to say what you want and do what you want and, and, and the way they do. And, I, and this, and like you said, this is today. I think once we have, like, we start to understand it that way, then, like, with that type of empathy, and then, like, we, then we ha- have a better chance of actually addressing it. Your face is like, No, yeah. no, I feel, like I, I feel like I understand it in that I feel like that we were put in slavery was a defeat for us, and the continued problems that we have is a continued, which are quite often the legacy of slavery— mm-hmm are a continued reminder of our defeat on that same sort of level. So I feel like I understand it on, on a higher level like that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. But it's also, not, and, and the freedom from slavery is a reminder of, of, so you're saying you relate to it that way, like they're, they're, they're of, feeling yeah. the, the I mean, defeat. the way you put it helped me sort of be like, well, we kind of have a similar sort of like, the defeat that we suffered and the pain that we suffered through that trauma. We have reminders of it all the time. Yes. Yeah, we have reminders of it all the time. Yes. Yeah. Is there a lot of pressure being on Broadway? Theoretically. Theoretically? Does <laughs> it <laughs> mean you, don't, you, you push it out? You don't that, feel it? I, I'm, honestly, I'm very, very fortunate. And, and it's not like I did any of this on purpose as far as how, to, how I'm coping with it. But like, we workshopped this play for a year in the basements of Lincoln Center. I've I've come to like know and really really dig my cast, like the creative team, Scott Rudin and 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 Aaron Sorkin and Bart Shear, all those all those people, and just it always felt like we were doing the play for us, you know. We like we worked it over and over. We talked about it, we read it, we talk about it, and, you know, notes. We just, it always felt that way, and so we've kind of and and to the credit of the creative team, they like they've you know kind of protected us as far as letting us feel that, give us that, the space and time to just dig in, dig in. So that being said, now go, taking it to the stage, to the theater, it still feels that way. And so I never I never thought about it actually being on Broadway. I never thought about it being, oh, there's this, it's based on this book that everyone in this country feels like an ownership of because they've, like, it, they've grown up with it. It spoke to them. It speaks to them now. I didn't think of it as 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 those things, I just thought about it as this this thing that we this group of people were working on again and again and again, and I love that. So it, there's 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 that pressure there. I just refu- I refuse. I want to continue to not recognize it. To not recognize it. I mean, it, it's a big stage. It's a big responsibility. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, theater you, is theater. Is the, it's, 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 it's the same logistics. I did a, a, my last play was at the Flea Theater, which is an amazing theater, much smaller theater, but they do great work there. You know, the logistics are the same. You know, just like talking to that person, listening to the person on the stage, and like, what's the objective? But you're you're absolutely right, though. It's like it's it's like it's Broadway, like premier theater in the world. Um, so I I'm like I but. I have a choice, you know. What, what as as an actor, what I'm gonna, what am I gonna let get into here? I haven't read any of the reviews, you know. I, I, I don't know if I will, but right now I'm like I'm trying to get through tonight. But that's like an athlete who's doing whatever he can to block out the things that will create pressure, mm-hmm. right? And maybe if you read the reviews, then it will put you too external. And, like, you know, maybe if there's a criticism and now I'm thinking about it and, like, so I just, you're just sort of saying, here's the pressure. I'm not paying attention to it. I'm yeah. just doing my job. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and, and I think you're right. Those things exist, but I'm choosing to, like, just, like, 
get on that stage and play with those other actors and and again and just reinvest, figure out ways to reinvest. Yeah, because we're gonna be doing this a while. What makes Jeff Jandel so great? <laughs> He's not great. He sucks. No. <laughs> no, Jeff is awesome. Jeff is awesome. He's an actor's actor. He loves he loves doing this. That that honestly, that's I think that's what it is. He loves doing it and he listens and he, he on stage. It's it's wild. It's difficult and simple at the same time. And and Jeff like throws himself into it and he works, he works, he works. Even when he's not on stage, he'll go back and he's and I can just hear him in his dressing room working, working, working. So and he, I don't want to attribute it to like he's he happens to be a really intelligent man as well. So I don't want to think, oh, you have to be smart to be a good actor, you know, but he does you know, dissect these pieces in a in a in this intelligent way and and he's super collaborative. And then I think when you do those things and you have those attributes, you 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 will you can't help but be left with a really good performance. You know? And so he's been amazing to work when with. When you say he goes back to the room and he works, what what are you doing at that point? You've already got it memorized. You probably you have a deep sense of the character. So what further work is there for an actor to do at this point? You can it'll it can and should and it should evolve because um, some actors are absolutely fine doing the same thing every night. Jeff doesn't strike me as that actor. You know he he wants to f- f- get it. He wants to find different levels to it. He wants to attack it differently. He he wants to have a deeper understanding of this material. Um, a lot of the actors in, in that in that production are like that, um, and I think that's why we also work very well together on 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 stage. Um, just yeah, we have to, and we also understand we're going to be doing it for a while. So we we some of the work there's the work that's going to be done on stage, and then there's gonna, the work about like finding ways to reinvest and and keep this fresh for the audiences that come through. Yeah, how do you do it eight times a week and not, and keep it fresh so that each time it sounds like the first time? Cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Cocaine. You stupid son. (laughs) Um, I'm not joking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> how, no. much do you, how much do you need <laughs> yeah, how much do I need whatever you got whatever you, you got <laughs> don't talk about it unless you got <laughs> he's like stop fronting okay it's all right okay <laughs> um, it's 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 an exercise so, so it's like it's difficult sometimes and sometimes it's easier um, and then and then for me it's about not beating yourself up when it's when it's harder like ah uh, I've got to really find you know, find this this night or like kind of work harder to listen to this actor tonight or, you know, make sure like I'm being present, more present or I wasn't present then and I'm, and not beat myself up for, you know, when I'm not as present and I need to stop thinking about this. I'm performing right now. You know, I mean, just like all that stuff. Um, that's all of that's part of the exercise. All of that's part of the, the, the practice of it. I don't know where you personally fall on the N word. Right, because we haven't had that discussion. Um, we hear it a lot throughout the play. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder what the audience is th- when they first realize, like it's just gonna flow like water tonight. As far as the N word, they because no one comes in expecting that, white or black, and it's just like the N word is like every other everywhere. Word. Yeah. So how do you feel about that? Because it's generally aimed at you <laughs> all night long, all night long. I mean, is that 
Is that hard? I mean, even within the character, I'm like, is that hard that they're like oppressing you right to your face? It's, it's funny because I, I went through different understandings of it for the character. Um, initially, I, I, I took it as like, oh, this this constant insult by this this white town, you know, the continuation of this oppression. And it's, it's like they're like, every time they use it, it's like a smack to the face. Then I realized like, <clears throat> actually, no, like they're like in this town, you know, black people have been so... You know, they're part of this system for good or bad. And so they use it, it like it, they, they've, it's, they've been called the N-word so much, they use it like it's their name to one another. And so they, the, the the negative aspect of it, like, you know, it's, it's there's a very good chance it's not actually there. And so, like, Tom refers to himself as that on the stand, you know. And in today's sensibilities, it's heartbreaking. And so I have to separate myself as an actor today now heartbreaking it is to hear that sound you know that, that word you know reference to black people and think about what black people thought of it and thought about how they used it then in that context of that town and i think this it's yeah they they, they it it flowed now it's a word that can be that was used to refer to one another but it's also it's a refer, word that's used as an insult yes not too unlike today not <laughs> in general as an actor. Mm. Talk about how you take words on a page and make them come to life. Cocaine. Stop <laughs> <I'm> playing. <laughs> Talk about how you create the character. Create, you know, adding the backstory and making this person really feel real. The workshops helped a great deal because you got you got to get around a table with all these really creative people and talk about the world, talk about the characters, get get notes and direction from our, from the director and then and the writer who heard it differently, and then Aaron would go away and come back with more thoughts. And so it like it it, it helped a great deal as far as developing the character um, in a very organic way. You often don't get that. You, you often you get the script and and then like when you're on set, like some direction maybe and let's go. Uh, so. As far as developing this character, we were spoiled in the process. Um, and it started with, you know, the words on the page. It started with where they are in time um, and the circumstances and, and his work, his family. And then all those things start to build. You know, like, you know, how many kids does he have? You know, how long has his arm not been working? You know, how, like the memories of how he, he lost the ability to use his arm, his wife. It's like all those, all those things start to build on who's the, who this man is. He goes to church. You know, in the book, the church raises money to help. So he's, he's he must he must he goes there. And he's a, and, and so he's a Christian man, and his relationship with Christ. There's all these things then help to determine how he carries himself and how he speaks and what he talks about and why he went on that. He, like he worked twelve hours a day for Mister Link D's with one arm. And then on his way home, he would go and help this woman. Like, why? Who? Like, who is that person who does that? And not think anything of it. And then on top of that, refuse her money. Right. He did it for free. Just in general, when you get a job, uh, what is the first thing you do? We've given you the script. You got the job. What do you do first? 
How much did they pay him? <laughs> Call a dealer, get some more cocaine. Exactly. All right, we out getting paid. I'm gonna pay you back. Just give me enough. <laughs> pay you back. Um, when I first get a script, I read it, um, and then I, I then I it's it's changed over the years. I used to like go over scripts obsessively um, when I first started acting, um, and but then over the years, I've decided to. I, it, it's helped me to use other tools. And so I'll read the script once, and then I won't touch it for a while. And just kind of think about the character. Think, and usually production's in contact with about clothes, and the director, I may, I may have a conversation with the director. Different things start to come in and influence what the world it's, is going to be. Um, and, then, and then maybe some pl- at some point closer to shooting, I may pick up the script again um, and and. and, and I may pick up the script again, but like I, I, I want it to, I want it to be as not dog, dogmatic as possible. Not un, un, I don't know if you could. How do you say not dogmatic? Yeah, I guess that not dogmatic. I, I, yeah. So I, I want there to be as much room for life between me and the creative partners, the director, the actor, whoever, um, as possible. So I, I, yeah, I, I don't do that. What's the difference between a good actor and a great actor? Oh. Damn, Torre. <laughs> oh. The first thing that comes to mind is basically how much one is willing to give of themselves. Yeah. It's like for for their work, their art, their craft, their role. Like how much one is willing to give. How much of your spirit... How much of your self-awareness? How much of your what? It, it, all of that. Spirit, self-awareness, time, energy, relinquishing of yourself. Um, how much you're, you're willing to be a vehicle for something else happening through you as opposed to just like controlling every aspect of a performance, which can, which can also can be, can be awesome, you know, but like, how much are you willing to like, lack of a better word, sacrifice? Yeah. Who are some of the actors you admire the most and sort of learned from just watching, either from afar or up close? Well, I'm learning. A, do you curse on this? Yeah, if you want. I'm learning a shit ton from Jeff, watching him. From Jeff Daniels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I get to be up there with him and, and just, like, watch him, you know, do his thing and— and that doesn't mean Jeff is perfect all the time. Like some of the th- some of the times I learn the most is when I uh, when I see him make mistakes, and and see what uh, what a great actor does when he makes a mistake. And then I'm like, oh my god, he's he's brilliant. To me, the, I, I see his brilliance there. Uh, I, w- I want to hear about that because that was liberational for me when I was first coming up in television. I remember watching Katie Couric on the Today Show, right, and she flubbed the line. She made a little joke out of it, like a little laugh, and then she kept going. And I was like, that was better than if she had read the line perfectly, because that would have seemed robotic. Mm. And we got a little flavor of the real Katie, and then she went right back to, and it was like, oh, well, if you look at it like that, there are no mistakes, because if you make a mistake, how you handle it, and you keep the moment flowing, then everything is, so then I felt like, Oh, it, it frees you it, up. Yes, if I make a mistake, it's not necessarily a mistake. If I just play it off in the right 
way. It so gives an op- it gives it gives people an opportunity to buy into you. Yes. You know, just like, all right, I can get behind this person. So when you see Jeff make a mistake, and how is he handling that? What is he what is he doing that's influencing he, you? He 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 doesn't freak out when he makes a mistake. He 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 does what Katie does. So, like just like subtly, you know, you know, depending on what the mistake is, like acknowledge it or in a humorous way or or just like through the character, find ways around it, which is like amazing to see because that's on the fly. We did not rehearse this. This thing is happening. And so now Jeff is finding a way for Atticus to fix this thing. And like that's brilliant to watch. Uh, a friend of mine told me this, this phrase years ago that it's like it's been imprinted in my brain. Um, champions adjust. Mm. And that, that that's like champions adjust. It says everything there. It's like, oh, it's not about winning all the time. It's about what you do when you fall, you know, that's, that's what, and you, after, after that, like, I love boxing, I love combat sports. You, you go to, you watch some of these boxing matches, especially some of the old ones, and you see, the, like, like, you know, Muhammad fight, you see, you know, Frazier, you see all these, you know, Foreman fight, and it's not they, that they didn't, they never lost, or they never got beat up. It's like, champions keep getting up. That's the only difference. Like champions keep getting up, and there's something in them. Like you see, like their their minds could be like losing it, but like their body's like, oh, I just gotta get up, gotta get up. Yeah, exactly. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like that's, that's the difference. That's how they've gotten to that point because that thing that makes them keep getting up will give you most times, most, most often give you victory. But even when you lose, you, will, you can recognize that thing. Oh, that's that thing that gave him a 10-0 and 0 record up until this day. Like you see, I see it right there. He's going to lose this match, but he, I see that thing in him. Yes. His body keeps getting up. You know, his mind keeps like his, his mind is may not even be present or he may be depressed or he may be whatever, but he keeps getting he can't help but get back up. Yes. You know, What's, what else have you learned from Jeff Daniels? Um, I was going to say, OK, <laughs> 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 but I, I ain't going to put no dirt on his name. 
<laughs> you just put it on your own. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, oh my God, Jeff has some of the most amazing stories. Like he's 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 had an amazing career. So he has like all these stories of having worked with all these great actors. Um, and he's a great storyteller. Um, I I will. This isn't a story, uh, a Jeff story, but there was a t- one day on on. While we were performing, and we've come to the to the to the uh, testimony. Tom's giving his testimony. The whole trial, the whole play leads up to this, and I've, we've done the performance a number of times. And I'm like, like I'm super comfortable working with these people. I've been like talking, working with them for like a year now. We had get, just got a ton of notes, and it's and it's it's oftentimes not like when you get a bunch of notes, it's like one or two lines that change that kind of throw you. Like, oh, you have to remember everything's the same except for instead of uh, it's the, or something like that. And especially because Aaron, Aaron Sorkin's very, you know, he's very detailed. Um, and I was exhausted. And so there, there I, there's all my excuses. <laughs> so so we're, we're doing the show, and, and I... Um, he asked me a couple questions, and then I go blank. I don't, I cannot remember any lines, <laughs> and everything. Everyone on stage is looking at me because Tom is is testifying. Everyone in the audience is looking because Tom is testifying, and then and it's like, and so now all the stuff that all the pressure that I ignore, you know, like flooded in like 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 like, like a river, and I'm sweating. I'm like I can't figure anything out. I'm like, um, and Carrie, Carrie uh, Washington and Andy, they, like that hit me up. They were they were coming that night, so I know they're out there. And I'm like, I'm like sweating, and and all I can do is like I'm I'm looking at Mayola, Mayola, and I'm like, I, and I'm like I, I didn't do it. I, I'm I'm sorry. I, I'm just making up lines now, and I'm like sweating so bad, and I'm like. How do I get out of this? And I, I can feel like the my cast like wanting to help me, wanting to be supportive. They know like they're the only ones that know anything's wrong at stage management because we've done it so many times and this is not how it goes. <laughs> and and but none of them can help me. There's only one person on on the stage who can help me at that point, and that's Jeff. But even then, I have to give him enough to to lead me back to shore. And so I'm just rambling, and I'm saying words. I'm like, Miss Finch, uh, Mayella, I didn't do it. I, I'm sorry. And I, I like none of those are the lies. And I'm just like, <laughs> just say stuff like that, and like trying to find words that like are familiar. And eventually, I like babble up, babble out enough babble that Jeff is able to like, like get me, give me a question. You know, as far as and yeah, and so I like and I answer the question, and he like leads me back to shore. I mean, at one point, apparently, because I forgot a lot of what I did say up there, they're like, hey, "You made a sound bang." I was like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah, it was something like, oh." <laughs> they're like, "Oh, we we knew you were messed up and lost when we heard you go, oh." <laughs> I was like, "I said that. I didn't remember it." And like, "Yeah, you said that." And you also almost said. Oh fuck! Yeah, because you, you got to the F in oh fuck, and like we were, that was it. You said oh, and so I don't didn't remember any of that until they told me the next day. Um, but yeah, watching Jeff like like bring me back to shore, 
And, and then afterwards, I was completely mortified, completely mortified for days. And then all these actors who are like these, these experienced Broadway actors, Tony-nominated actors, they'd come up to me and said, oh, yeah, the first time that happened to me and the second time that happened to me. They started like sharing me their stories of when that happened. I was like surprised that it even happened to them at all. But then it's happened to them a few times. Like that just they just made me feel so... So like so much better, and I and I just I, I trusted them even more. So the director was like, so, and and Aaron, they 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 were just, they just laughed. Aaron is like, I uh, no, Bart said that that what you did last night, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so I I I also want to talk to you about uh, being part of perhaps the greatest television show of all time in The Wire. Um, you had a significant role, Chris Partlow. Fantastic character, ruthless killer. I mean, your eyes in that are so cold. You know, Chris will take no shorts. He will kill you right here. He doesn't care. It, it, talk about just, I mean, just talk about the beginning of you and The Wire. Like, just how did that job begin? Man, that, that was, I said, I used to work for the federal government. And, As um, what? Uh, the I can't turn the mics off. Take the cameras off. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I worked in the um, um, uh, the corporate. I worked for the Corporation for National Service, which is the headquarters of AmeriCorps and Vista, like the, like Peace Corps like programs, but domestically within the United States. I was a congressional uh, congressional legislative assistant, like low level, but I loved it. Um, and I got curious about acting, and then I bought some books. About well, what age is this? When you're I was twenty. One. You come to this late. 22. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And High some, school, college, you weren't thinking about this. No, no, no. I, um, someone came over to my cubicle and mentioned that their friend was in town. It was an actor. Uh, and I, I, up until then, I never thought about acting as something that people actually did as a job. Like, television was my babysitter. I watched it all the time. But that, and so I asked this person, oh, how'd your friend get into it? Not because I was actually interested. I was just like, you know, curious about the whole how thing. How does one do that? Exactly. And then this person kind of you know, readily dismissed me and said, well, you couldn't do it because my friend is that whatever. See? See your face? Yeah, exactly. You tell that, me I can't do it. Exactly. Now I'm super motivated. Like, you go, what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, now you're, you're fucked up now. Because I'm going to show up, you. Right? You know you're not fucked up, right? And, but even then, I wasn't trying to. I just got super curious. So I'm like, I'm, I bought some books. I started going into chat rooms, talking to you know, people who were, who were doing this. And, and then that made that inspired my curiosity even more so. And then uh, I started submitting myself for auditions to see what they were like in the D.C. area. Um, and, and then I ended up getting offered a, a role at the Shakespeare Theater, like, like a third soldier from the right. On, for, we did all three of the Oedipus plays with Avery Brooks and Earl Hyman. And I, and I, I, I kind of freaked out when they called me and said, oh, they'd like you to join the cast. I was like, oh, I'll call you back. And I hung up. And then like five seconds later, I'm like, my uncle called me and told me my father died. And I was like, Whoa. I just got up. And I went into my supervisor's office and resigned. I was like, I have to go, and uh, and I didn't even know why. I just like I just knew I had to like I had to go. And then the, then I went like that week. It was all crazy. It was like picking out funeral arrangements for a man who I had a very complicated relationship with. And then at night rehearsing with people that I'd grown up seeing on TV doing this thing that I'd never done before. So it's like so that was my launch into acting. Um, and I, I continued to submit myself. I heard that there was a local casting director casting this new show, and so I got submitted, and uh, ended up being um, a background on the wire. 
I was like a background extra. Like, you don't even see me. I'm walk, I'm like so far background. And then a couple episodes later, I was like an extra in a courtroom dressed as a cop sitting next to McNulty. And like, yeah, it's like, if you if they still have DVDs, do they have DVDs anymore? That's, that's we, still we a thing. We do, but that they don't exists. have DVD players anymore. Oh, okay. They get rid of those. So in, in DVDs, children, there's the, they, they used to have these behind the scenes stuff. You can see like me in the behind the scenes dressed as a cop looking very different than Chris. And then some, like a season or two after that, I ended up booking a reoccurring that became one of the one of the leads to the show. It's been that's that's been my family since. How did you create Chris? Like, what did you do? What did you add to the page that made him who he was? It's interesting because Ed Burns um, and Ed Burns is one of the writers and producers, and is, is an awesome guy. And then there's obviously David Simon and George Pelicanos and you know Richard Price. We had we had an amazing team. Um, and I would always try to get, especially since I had never done this before, and at the time I was doing just learning doing theater, um, I'd try to get as much information as possible because I knew most of most of what you saw on the wire was based on real events and based on real people. So I, and Ed was a cop in Baltimore who worked these cases who knew these people. So I was trying to get drilling for intel. And him and David, they would just give us and George, they would just give us like the bare minimum. They just give us a. They wouldn't tell us much, and. And they, and they, I realized because they wanted us to like create our own characters, our own performances, and so I, because I was given so little, I was forced to create my my, and and that was one of the best lessons. Talk about lessons um, that I, I ever got in my early career. Um, I mean, re- research is great, but I was definitely at a place where, if I you give me a little piece of information, I'd get obsessive. Like I'd write. When I was learning monologues, I'd write, I'd fill up notebooks of like monologues because like, I'm determined to learn this, writing the first line, the first, second line, the first, second, third line. Just, and so to get an opportunity where they trust you enough to kind of, to just create, give you some 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 seeds and like run with it um, was, was great. So one of the things that they gave me was that Chris is actually based off of a, a group of brothers um, in in Baltimore, and these in these brothers were all killers. They were like this is what they did, this is what they were good at, and this is this is what they were, that's their lane. Um, and so, the, you know, so Ed took some aspects of this and aspects of that and said, okay, well, you know, and he would, we would talk about the relationship between Marlo and and and, uh, and Chris and how they they were probably in the same, you know, elementary school together and and they didn't get much, much further. And for every class, Baltimore classroom, there's like, you know, maybe, maybe there's one. There's a number of people who go on to be corner boys, but maybe one Marlo Stanfield. And for every Baltimore um, classroom, there's you know maybe like one like real sociopath like Chris. And the and like they they to recognize something in one another and and and, like, and connect young and then like kind of like, feed that one another. We would we would talk about this about how they they grew together and how they became you now got this. Got to this place where they built this thing, and and Chris was advising Marlo on these moves to make. Because Marlo, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of brilliance in in uh, inner cities, but how do you, you know, but you know, but you're in an inner city, so you're you know dealing with all these other things that you know can snuff out your life or put you out during this track. How does Marlo get? How does a Marlo get to where he is? How does a Chris get to where he is? So we would talk about those those paths, and the character would come from that. So. What happened in Chris's past that led him to be this cold sociopath? 
So you've seen the show? Of course. So there's was what's great about that show is like there's a lot of subtleties there. So people have a lot of speculation, you know, did you know, did he witness murder when he was younger? Did you know, was he abused because of what he did to Michael's father? You know, just different. He so, just physically destroys a sexual abuser. So people thought in Chris's past, there's sexual abuse. That's why he's so vicious to this mm-hmm. person who's. And it's the only time he's ever like committed a murder like that with his with his hands, exactly. and just destroying a body. Exactly. Um, and and me personally, I think that's you know there was a lot of abuse that led him to to developing differently, to to not being socialized like everybody to you know. Is this nurturing the sociopath? You know, there, and, and there's no there's no support. You know, he's, and and it's about survival. You know, so that's that's all it is. And so Chris can sit down and have a meal with your whole family, or you know, kill your whole family, and it'll affect him the exact same. You know, that doesn't mean he's like like bloodthirsty. You know, like he's a worker. Yeah, yeah he's strategic. Diff- exactly. He doesn't mow down the whole. Supermarket. He kills that guy because that guy is getting in our way. For that, yeah. And and if it, and if that person isn't in getting in our way, that person lives today. How do you? How did you physically transform into Chris? Right? Because I mean, each scene you are fully there. Your face is ill, right, from the beginning to the end of the scene. Are there things that you have to do to sort of like get up to get in? Because Marlo's much more. Chill, right? Snoop was much more chill, although she had a, yeah. a beautiful emotional range. She's amazing. And you were just, as soon as you come on, you're just like bugged out, ill, I'm like scared of him. Like, how do you get into that physical space? I think, I mean, there's the character building you get from the information, um, you know, from the script, from the writers. For me, the clothes have a lot of influence on it. So he wore these dickies. And this is this was his uniform, um, and so he is, he's going to work. And Chris Chris was a watcher, like he watched everything, every move, and and so he so then calculate. So as a as a watcher, like watcher slash hunter, like this is as what do you, what do you do when you take in like all the surroundings so you can like make your you know your calculations and your machinations. So as if you're watching, you try very hard not to disturb the things you're watching, not to be noticed when, when, when it's not time to be noticed. So you move silently, you know, if at all. You know, so that, I think that, that's, how it's, that's how it started, you know. And, and then, I mean, you've been to Baltimore? Yes. Man, that, that shit is real. That's right. Yeah, like, we very seldom created sets that we shot. Like that, that's that's what it was, and that's what it is right now. So the 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 environment like, influenced a great deal. I think what these characters were like and how they moved. I mean, I think for most of our peers, they would say the Wire is the best show of all time. Why? What is the Wire doing so well that vaults it above everything else that we are able to see? The Wire was able to get. Like a middle-aged white bank executive or teacher, two different classes from like the Midwest, to totally understand why a thirteen-year-old black kid on the corner of ba- in, in Baltimore would go out and put a bullet in another kid's head mm. n- without judging. To do to be able to get someone from a 
completely different world to understand such an extreme course of action without judging, that, that, that's, that's an extraordinary feat. Yeah, and so The Wire was able to do that. I mean, it, it also, it did that, and it would place these people in these situations within a systemic context. Yes. It doesn't just exist on this layer. It's also the economy. It's also the educational it's system. The it's also systems. the policing. It's systems. It's, it's systems. The story of systems. And, and I, I can't think of any other show that really exists within a matrix of systems, which makes it more honest exactly. and real. Exactly. And, and, and so it got people to relate to people they would not otherwise doing things that they would never see them see like see themselves doing because it told the story through systems you know, and 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 of 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 social work of schools of like and we all understand systems so it made it more relative to the audience and on top of that the audience it wasn't an easy show to be a fan of you had to invest and and once and once you invested you felt ownership and so it's and so you you're going to follow these characters you're going to follow these stories you're going to understand why this thing thing happens, why the pressures exist and so on. And it's it's shows didn't do that. T- television shows didn't do that. That's hard that's hard to do in real life. I, you know, I, I loved the the Barksdale character and that whole crew, but when Marlo started rising up, just right away I was like, yo, I like that kid. <laughs> like I don't know what is there's something that was cool and mm-hmm. icy about him and just talk about what made Marlo Stan's feel as a character so great and compelling and that I'm like I've been rolling with these guys for three seasons I'm like no that's my dude now <laughs> I mean I think a lot of it has to do with like what Jamie brought to the character Jamie Hector Jamie's he was amazing with, with what he brought to it um, the it showed that like there's a range of personalities in this world it's not just oh this person's a drug dealer and killer, or whatever. It's like, no, these people get into it for different reasons. People get into it and and practice it differently. You know, they have their own method methodologies. And I think Marlo, Mar, Marlo saw the game. Yeah. And he and he and he liked the game and 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 he was fine with it just being a game. You know, and it, uh, that doesn't mean that, I mean, it was like what it wasn't a lethal game. He's like, no, but this, the game is a game. What you you trying to you trying to build a future? Fuck the future. You know, like, like let's let's play this right now. I want these corners. You got some corners. I want those corners. You know, just like what do I need to do? That that and he and he wanted to play that game. You know, so someone who's enjoying <laughs> enjoying life, whatever whatever it is, it just so happens that he's you know. That the game was like life and death and drugs and whatever. That was that scenario. That was that system, you know. But he he saw it, and so I think we connect to people who who see who who, who can recognize the system they're in and 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 enjoy playing it, it, even even with the consequences. Some people are subject to it and they suffer it, and we can even connect to those people, like like Bubs. He's Bubs. Bubs was like subject to the to the system, and and he he. He suffered from it, but then you see, you see him have his little wins here and there, and we got behind him. Like, yes, he's like he gets to eat today. He's kicking his habit today, whatever you know. But so I think I think to me that's what it was. There's not much that's more amazing and beautiful than Snoop's voice. I know. It's just the way that she talked was yeah, that, freaking awesome. That's that's, that's her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She and it feels like she was a surprising. Actress, like she would be surprising you. Oh my god! All the time. That she, yes, she, she was very surprising. I'll tell you about this one time. We were, 
we were slap boxing. And <laughs> and what well, real? We had been on set for a, like like a long time, maybe 14 hours. Um and we're just trying to keep ourselves like in it and present. And so we start we like, all right, let's 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 do this. I, I grew up slap boxing and she, you know, she she grew up the slap box is what people do her in the in the hood. And so she, we get ready and she's, you know, smaller than I am, but I also know she's like tough. And so I get ready to like like to like school or mess around with her, play around with her. And as soon as we put our hands up. And she immediately stomps on my foot, holds my foot there. I can't move. Like, I'm trying to get my foot away. As I'm trying to get my foot away, she hits me like five, six times, bop, 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 and runs. <laughs> I was like, that's how you survive prison. Right. That, that's like, okay. She's, right. I, I learned that lesson that day. So she, she, she is about winning and survival. It's like, yo, fuck your rules. <laughs> that's what, that's what I, that day I learned that lesson. She schooled me. She's Stomped on my foot. I'm like, ah, ah. Tagged me up five, six times and then took off. I was like, all right. Dude. Lesson learned. Thank Dude. you, Snoop. <laughs> Talk to me about who are some of your favorite actors of all time? Who's your acting Mount Rushmore? Daniel Day-Lewis. I, 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 I have actor crush on Daniel Day-Lewis. I have for years. He's incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's amazing. Talking about what people... Like will sacrifice, you know, and and he's, he's he sacrifices a great deal for what he does. Um, you mean like just embodying the role for a year or more, and just giving up your normal life to go make shoes yep. for a year? That that sort of like yep, yeah. And and I I I don't know if I could do that. It's, um, if if I had the the time, if I had the time and space, or or even the will to like to sacrifice that much, I I you know I do as much as I can every single time. And then hopefully that will lead to the, an, an honest performance and something that people can enjoy. Um, but what he what he's been able to do in the past, as far as what he sacrifices for his for this for his craft, has been astounding. Who else? Um, I love Lawrence Fishburne, um, like for a host of different reasons. Like I mean, he's funny. He's he's, he's obviously he can be scary, serious. He's like he's there's a great intellect behind his uh, behind his work. Um, I love Angela Bassett. I love just watching. I, I know I'm like doing some of the some of the traditional ones, but these are they're they're. There's a reason. Yeah, why exactly. Exactly. Oh my God! When they did what let's what's love got to do? If there was ever a movie where the lead male and lead female actors should have walked with Oscars, it was that one. That that was just like. That was brilliant. Like what they did. That was really painful to yeah. watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god, it was painful. But they were they were brilliant in it. In it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's like there's a, my mind. There's a lot. Like, who do you like? Who do I like? Who do you like? I love Pacino. Pacino. I love yes. the power of De Niro. Yes. Um, I love Michael K. Williams. Yeah. I mean, you know, he just burns a hole through the screen every time. Jeffrey Wright. Yes. I mean, Viola Davis. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people who just leap off the screen. I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, even sometimes Patton Oswalt, right? <laughs> Who's slightly different in this conversation. I love but Patton. Like, I remember somebody showed me a piece where he was on, I think, the Ray Romano show or something. Mm-hmm. 
And he was in the background and everybody, you know, they're in the living room. They're all moving like a normal family would. And for some reason, he decided I'm going to stand still in the background for the whole scene. And it's hysterical. And he's not moving, but it's just, it's, it's hysterical. Patton is great. I, I love Patton. What is the extra challenge of being a black actor and trying to, because, you know, you have other things. You have your furniture thing. You have other things. So, I mean, like. You know, there, there's a, there's an extra challenge to being a black actor, to getting enough jobs to live the way you want to live, right? Yes. I've been very fortunate because I work on top of that. I work on things that I, I enjoy doing that I, I consider quality. Um, they, But the majority of the, you know, it's it's been like this since the inception of Hollywood. They they didn't create Hollywood for black actors. They didn't create Hollywood for actors who, who weren't white or any them. That's just the fact. And so it's still very, some things have changed, but it's still very much, you know, a ton of white male writers and producers writing for people who look like them, you know? So, you know, there aren't, you know, comparatively, there aren't a ton of roles. There are more, and now diversity is in, but it's still not, you know, truly representative of the nation. When you say diversity is in now, and I see that with uh, just there's so many great black films and black creators over the last two to three years, is that a trend or you think that's going to continue and it's like Hollywood has realized there's a black audience that can be served if you get the right creators and the right story? I think it'll continue because we've seen that when Hollywood, every once in a while Hollywood will will try to pull back and, and some of the progressive moves just to see because you still have some of the old heads making decisions out there and 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 black people have been more vocal about you know punishing those films when they do that yes you know so so I, I think it's it's going to continue to 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 happen what advice do you have for younger black actors who are coming up and want to have a career as successful as you've had and I, I think deciding what success means to you, is is key and then doing that like it's it's yeah you can't judge yourself by other people's standards i mean some people want to i remember when i left the federal government and then said i'm going to do this I, I literally told myself why am i doing this let me be clear uh and i and i and i, and I wrote out my goal was to do work do good work consistently that's it and if i did that i'd consider myself successful some people i, I remember talking to this one actor or somebody who was trying to get get into acting years ago he wasn't black, but he was he was going hard body at it, and he he wanted to be on T-shirts and have you know teenage girls scream his name and be on billboards, and that's what he said. I was like, all right, I, I can't be mad at you. You know exactly what you want. You know that's not what I'm looking for, but that's you know you have clarity, and I and I respect that. Um, so whatever it is that you you want, like be clear with yourself. Don't 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 decide it based on other people's idea of success, and then work towards that. You know, yeah. I mean, part of what you're talking about is an, is an artistic self-awareness. And if you have that, you can bring more of yourself to the screen. If that's what you choose, some people just want to be famous. Damn your artistic self-awareness. Is that okay? Like, who am I to judge? You know, but if, can if, you be a great artist? Can you become a great artist if your goal is to be famous? Do you, some people don't want to be great artists. Mm-hmm. I've met those people. I've, 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 you know, I've, I've, some people have no interest in that. You know, and, and I... I I've learned that they exist. I've I've seen those people. They, you know, I get approached, 
And a lot of number of people ask me for advice about acting. I'll give them advice. And I see, as soon as I start talking to them about going to see theater and reading books and reading plays, contemporary plays, conserv- uh, uh, classical plays, and, and practicing your craft, they tune out. And and then they what they really want is for me to put, pick them up and put them on set someplace in front of a camera. And, of course, it doesn't work that way. And I'm like, all right, you want something different. And there are ways to get that. Ask a Kardashian. <laughs> there are ways to get that, you know. So they're, they're, and this is America. But the way to, like, what you want to do good work consistently, mm. how do you do that? You commit to doing a play for a year. <laughs> it's like, whoo. But it's, it's been, an, like, it, this is me working on my craft. I'm thinking longevity. Like, there's been, there's been a number of films that I've, like, turned down and ha- not been able to do because... Uh, because I'll be doing this show, and it's been worth it. This, I'm, I'm invested in this project with these people. Um, I, I, I go see theater. I, I, I interrogate my work, and it, and it changes how I do that. You know, and I try to, um, you know, some t- I haven't seen a project of mine in, in quite a while because I try not to look at them. Um, and for me, right now in my life, that's one of the, the best things I can do to help it just be about the work that I do on set or stage that day. Um, so it, it, I, I went to the David Bowie exhibit twice for three hours each time. It was um, At the oh Brooklyn Museum? God. Oh, my God. It was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. He was so beautiful. It was like, I find things like that to, like, inspire me. Like, that, I want to do. David Bowie is a good example. He, he, was, he did amazing work. He, I realized after going to that exhibit that he wasn't a rock star. He was a performance artist. Yes. Who, and rock and rock musician was one of the things he did. And I'm like, okay. And he was very clear. And on top of him wanting to do art, David Bowie wanted to be famous. He said yeah. that from a, like a young age, and he wanted he wanted to be rich and famous. And he was honest and clear with himself. And look how many amazing things he created. And he's constantly in his work challenging. Uh, the notion of what it means to be a man and interrogating that. And I'll go over here with it. I'll do makeup. I'll do, right, borrowing from women's culture. It it was just kind of amazing. So so he's a great example. How did did he work on his art? He constantly interrogated his work and then reinvented things and, like, I'll try this. Not everything David Bowie did was successful, but he was an artist because he tried. He was was okay with falling on his face. And that's core, being a great artist, that you're willing to fall on your face and you can learn from that. Yes. Which we started talking about before, that failing for an artist is not necessarily failing. No. Because it's trying. Yes. Yes. Champions are just. Thanks to Benga for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Brandon Tago and our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and We are distributed by DCP Entertainment. And you best believe we will be back next Wednesday with another amazing guest because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door 
thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.